Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Newcastle Blue Star Podcast. I'm your host Dan Tracy and after getting the season underway with former Newcastle United star Rob Lee, we're back with another episode and more importantly another top guest. Joining me tonight is a member of our first team squad and someone you will find between the sticks. That's because it's none other than Alex Curran. Alex, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show tonight and I hope all is well. All well here mate, thanks for having us. Not a problem, thank you for your time this evening. So, where's a good place to start this evening? I guess some background on yourself. So, let's have some quick-fire questions just to get you in the mood. Are you ready for those? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Perfect. So, for those who don't know you, how old are you? Uh, 32. Oh, a good age. Now, I've alluded to the intro, you're the man between the sticks. So this is a pretty easy answer to give, but what position do you play? Yeah, so goalkeeper. Of course. What player did you idolise growing up? Gigi Buffon, uh, the old Italian keeper, yep. Parma and Juve. And which player do you aspire to be right now? 32, it's pretty hard to aspire to be anybody, really. But um, I suppose I'm looking at the Premier League. I quite like Hugo Lloris. He's a good keeper. Good shout. As a Tottenham fan, I can completely uh, get on board with that answer. So you're all right there. Let's um, move on for the quick fire round now. So let's get a bit of uh, insight into your time at Blue Star. So... When was it that you exactly joined the club in terms of time scale, and what was the decision, or how was that decision made in terms of you know what was the key elements that thought actually I want to be a part of this? Yeah, so I, I suppose it was just it was during lockdown really. Um, last year, I got a I got a text from Dean Walker. Um, I was on an FA education course with him, and uh, he, he just messages saying that the, the keeper at the time, Phil Mills, uh, had an injury and. Um, if I'd be interested in, in coming down. And to be honest, at the time, I, I didn't really have a club. So I only live over the road. Like, you just walk walk across, walk back sort of thing. Um, so it was a no-brainer. So it came in the last, sort of start of last pre-season, like the one before now. And then obviously, it was a bit of a nightmare with all the training and, and whatever happened. And then, to be honest, Preeny and Robin did a pretty decent job considering... Covid hit and must have been the most difficult time ever to be a, to be a manager of a football club. To be perfectly honest, and I mean, I got injured in in August in a pre-season friendly and, and missed pretty much the full season. And looking back with all the isolated cases and you know not being able to shower after games or, or all that sort of stuff, just it's probably the perfect time not to be involved in football. If I'm honest. Now, of course, you might have to say good things about your management team because they'll be listening. But with that said, what is it like working with Liam and Paul? Uh, yeah, it's great. I mean, I, I already knew Bryce before he came in um, from my days back at Gateshead College. And Bryce got me sort of involved in men's football in the first place, really, when I was sort of 19 year old, uh, 19, 20 year old. So from from then, I already knew him, I already knew Paul. Um, I knew of McIver. And funny enough, I played with McIver in, in an Alliance representative team about 10, 12 years ago or something now. Um, he, he, he wouldn't have remembered me from then, but I think he actually got sent off during that game as well, which which was canny. But they're a good management team, to be fair. Like I say, no one, no one 50% of them before they came in made me feel so much more comfortable. And then since then, just getting to know Liam as well, it's been, it's been great. I think that they've both been great for the squad, for the club, and, and they're a good representation for what I've got on the pitch. Absolutely. So before you joined Blue Star, what were your previous stomping grounds? What levels have you played for in and around the non-league setup? So um, I played for. I used to play for Hedden, Hedden FC, or Hedden on the Wall. That was in. The, we played the Premier of the Alliance 
Uh, that was my first ever club I got involved with in Thompson there. That was through Bracer. Uh, from there, I went on to play for Rating in Division 1 at the Northern League. Um, and then from there, back into the Alliance Prem to play for <clears throat> when I was form at the time. Played a couple of years there. Uh, then I went back into the Northern League at Division 2 for, for Wickham. And that's when I met Robin Farkas. Um, he was my manager up there for a few years. And then after Wickham, where I go after Wickham? Taulow. I went to uh, Taulow. Um, in Division Two as well, and then I played for Newcastle University as well when we when we won the Alliance a few years ago. Um, they're obviously now in the in the Northern League Division Two as well. So, yeah, there's a few, and then obviously at Blue Star now. What do you make of the level that you are currently playing in? Is it a competitive division? Do you reckon? It can be. I think that, yeah, there's some some good teams there, some tricky teams in there. Um, I, I suppose every. Especially when we're playing the Blue Star now, and it, it almost feels like every game that we have at home is, is is almost a bigger challenge because we've got a crowd to please. Where obviously most teams don't have that, and we're very fortunate to have that. But teams that come to play at Blue Star tend to raise their game slightly because of that. It almost becomes like a mini cup final. I'm not a bit cliched, but um, it's definitely some really difficult teams. It's, it's quite a tough league to get out of, if I'm honest. So if if we if that's the aim for us this season, we're going to have to be at it pretty much every game home and away. Um, and, and utilise the squad that we've got at our disposal. But you've got to take it game by game. Well, of course. I was saying to someone during their game last night against Whitley Bay Reserves that it feels that every team, as you kind of alluded to, looks at Blue Stars, the kind of scalp of the division, that if you can get the better of them, you might try and find that extra 10% to try and get those points, etc. You know, And that's a great position for Blue Star to be in. Yes, every game's going to be a challenge, but it's almost kind of, kind of what's the best way to explain it? It should be flattered by it almost because everyone sees you as the big prize to get on top of. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think that's why the home games are, are even more special. Like, you're playing in front of a good crowd, which is, is nice. And a lot of players who are playing at, at this level will never have experienced that before. Um, so it could be quite daunting. You know, you see some players who struggle to cope with the pressures of it. You some, see some people absolutely fly at it. So it just depends on the person. And, you know, they're all good footballers, but it sort of it comes into sort of mental capacity more, more than anything else to see whether or not they can actually perform. So, I know you're in action against Whitley Bay Reserves on Wednesday night for those who may not have been in attendance, but when a game goes so one way in terms of, you know, as a goalkeeper, you're not really tested. Is it more difficult to be switched on because you're not really pushing away saves? You know, you're not really having to command an area. Is it a case of just making sure the basics are done and nothing silly is done across those 90 minutes? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I know it was, it was tough for Whitley Bay. They've just gone through quite a quite big change of management as well and now yeah, the same start of the season and everybody else has had with performance but yeah I think it, it's tough it's probably the toughest part of the game you know there's going to be spells it could be, could be 5, 10, 15 minutes it could be you know, up to an hour really where you, do, you don't really have a great deal to do <clears throat> the only thing that I've probably learned over the years is just to try, try and stay as vocal as possible um, you almost feel like you're commentating on the game at times which might feel a bit daft but it's the only way to keep your focus and then you keep switched on. That's probably the best the best way that I can put it, I suppose. Because th- there are times when you do, you're kind of present, you're there, you're on the pitch. Uh, you, you might find yourself in good areas, but you're not really taking them into account what exactly is happening in front of you. So it, it can be quite tricky to stay switched on. But like I say, I suppose over the years, you just learn to be vocal and just try and keep keep at it the whole game. And as soon as you're talking throughout the whole game, you find that it just flies over really quickly because you feel involved more. Well, of course, it's, I guess it's that kind of constant engagement, isn't it? That if you are just being in uh, communication with your back four, 
you don't really get the opportunity to switch off, do you? No, no, well, that's it. It's just organisation all the time, you know, squeezing high, making sure we're over left, over right, we're compact in the middle, just doing the right things and keeping on top of everybody else. And, you know, even if you're battering your centre-half, which, well, you wouldn't get to look full off me all the time, to be fair, but, you know, he's young and he's going to learn and he's going to be an unbelievable centre-half in the future. Um, but, you know, everyone gets it. I think that's, that's important. Like, everyone's on the same boat. We're all trying to achieve the same thing for the team. So it doesn't matter where you play, if it's the back line, the middle line, the front line. We're all working together, and that again, that just being vocal, being you know, trying to communicate where you can, just keeps keeps the units performing well, keeps the partnerships going well, and keeps the team ultimately performing on the pitch. Now, I know you were absent in our four-two defeat last weekend. However, how have you found your own performances when you have played this season? Is fitness where you wanted to be after pre-season training? Do you reckon you've still got a little bit more to give? How are you feeling in yourself? Uh, I think it's it's tough. It's a bit different being a keeper, I think, especially in pre-season because, you know, all the aerobic work, work that the lads do, you know, sheds of pounds, gets them fit, gets their stamina up. It's, I think a different level of fitness for a keeper because it's all short, sharp stuff. You know, you might work really sort of high intensity for 30 seconds to a minute and then you'll have a lull where you're not really working as intensely. So it can, it can be quite difficult to get that level of fitness up. I'll be the first one to admit that if whoever went on a long run, I'd be towards the back, you know, just trying to keep up with people and make sure I stay in the middle of the, in the group where possible. But, um, yeah, for the most part, fitness at, at the moment is where I feel it should be. I think we're doing all right. Um, I'm certainly doing okay. I feel I feel fresh. I feel fit. And I suppose at 32, that could be, like, could be the, the, the ultimate age for a keeper almost. Just enough experience in there to keep you going, but still got a bit of life left in your legs. So, Feel fresh, feel sharp as I did ten years ago, just with a bit more experience in me in my head, really. Well, you mentioned the kind of training that you were doing, and I guess the training that you're doing now. How exactly does it differ from an outfield player? What kind of drills are you doing compared to what someone in your back line is doing? What's the difference there? I suppose that when you're working in, as part of a unit and it's you know, two, three, or four man unit or whatever, you're constantly working by yourself, but with your your teammate in mind. It's a lot more of a sort of lone wolf strategy when you're a keeper. You tend to work with, obviously, with the other keepers, but you're only ever working by yourself. Um, you know, it, it's you're working sort of smaller sets. You might do sort of five or six sets of the same practice just to get your technique right. Loads of repetition, keeping sharp, just keeping keeping form with everything that you try to do, um, and kind of hope that it replicates in the game really, because you know you, you see all the time all the different keeper drills that go on. That, that they are really intense. You know, a lot of a lot of moving side to side, a lot of footwork, a lot of handling, um, but none of that kind of recreates what happens in the game. You know, reading play, trying to anticipate through balls, for example, or, or trying to sort of organise a defence. That's the sort of stuff that you struggle with in training, really, because that, that tends to come naturally in a match. Um, but in training, certainly, it's, it's it's a lot more individual. It has to be. It has to be because you're never working with another keeper during the game. Um, so that's the only way that you can probably keep it as realistic as possible, I suppose. Is that a case of stuff you can't really replicate in training? As you say, if you've got a one-on-one situation and someone's played well over the top, you can maybe get away with that in training, but in a live scenario, it's not quite the same. Or if you're trying to get a back four in a line and sort of reposition your full-backs because they're out of kilter and all that, you know, it's kind of, as you say, I could ping balls at you from 12 yards and you could do very well at saving them. But how do you go about trying to coach your back four into getting to where they need to be? I suppose that that's the golden question, really. Um I mean, look, you mentioned the ball over the top. Like, 
how could you replicate that? It's tough. It is tough because there's so many variables, you know, uh, how long the grass is for whether or not the ball holds up or how windy it might be or how wet the grass might be. And, you know, it, there's loads of different variables that will dictate whether or not the ball is going to carry through to the keeper or if he's going to have to come speeding off his line off. You just have to communicate the back foot that they're going to have to deal with it themselves. So that there are a lot of variables and they, they tend to naturally come in gameplay. And, and that's why your pre-season friendlies are, are vital for getting ready for the season because no matter how many how much training session how many training sessions sorry you do, um, none of that replicates what actually happens in the ninety minutes of the football pitch. And it's you know ultimately the decision making of the outfield players, um, and the decision making of the goalkeeper as well when it comes to the organisation that, that tends to have a, a big impact on on how well you play. Now to be a goalkeeper, they say you have to be pretty mad. I'm not going to imply that you are, Alex, but. What attracted you to that position? Have you always been between the sticks or have you been one of these players that starts up front and slowly works their way back towards the goal? Uh, yeah, yeah, actually, that, that, that is the case. I suppose I was a, um, I suppose when I was a, when I was a junior, I was, you could have probably described as a nippy winger. I was a late developer. I'm not even the biggest now, to be honest, but I was always a small kid. Um, and when I was about 11, 12, like that's when I decided to go and goal. It was... I had an injury problem with my Achilles and it was to do with the bones fusing together on my foot. And you know, the doctor basically just said no head like sort of no long distance running for a period of time just until it sort of fixes itself. And I just thought to myself, well keepers don't really do a lot of running, so I'll just go and go. And to be honest with you, from from that moment on I kinda of loved it and just stuck with it and it kinda of stuck with me a little bit as well. So I suppose that was just fate really. Like I didn't I didn't. I never thought I would be a keeper. Like obviously, you always mess around with your mates, you know, when you when you're away on fields and, and you know garages and whatever else, and just kicking a ball about with your pals, and everybody takes their turn and goal sort of thing. I didn't enjoy it as much like like anybody else. Didn't really. You want to be doing the pelters from the other side, putting them in the stanchion top corner. But um, yeah, it just kind of fell upon us, and I just stuck with it. And as you, I mean, I'm five foot nine. You know, I'm not the biggest keeper. Anyway, so when I, when the growth finally did catch up with it, it didn't exactly sprout us through the ceiling. But you kind of learn to deal with that in different ways and, and make different parts of your game more important because they have to be to try and sort of alleviate for the fact that I'm not the tallest. So with that in mind, then your height, obviously, I don't want to be sort of too heightist or anything like that. But you say you have to kind of perhaps overcompensate in other areas. So if you haven't got height as your best attribute as a goalkeeper, which would you say it is? Probably agility, right. I'd say. Um, agility, jumping power, sort of sharpness. It comes down to, you know, anticipating shots as well, angles, you know, a lot of guesswork as well, to be perfectly honest. Um, so, yeah, there's other there's other facets, like facets of the game. Like, like Peter Crouch is completely different to Jermaine and Four, but they're both, you know, in their own right, good centre-forwards. So, they play in different ways because they have to because their body dictates that that's the case. It's the same with keepers. Same with keepers. You get big, tall keepers. Um, you get little ones as well. You just have to do other things to, to give yourself a chance. Yeah, I think that's what people forget in terms of goalkeepers, that there is variety. You know, not every goalkeeper is just six foot and good at punching the ball over the air. As you say, there are different, there's agile goalkeepers. There are goalkeepers that are just units, really, aren't they? So it's good that there is that kind of variety in the game and I think people do forget that step. But in terms of Blue Star, I want to move away from that because I think you've got quite an interesting CV in terms of football and football-related projects. So I just want to discuss those if you don't mind. And I know that you were the assistant manager at Newcastle United's women's team. So how did that come about and how long were you there for? Oh, that was, well, that was a few years ago now. It was, um, 
an old colleague of mine, Andy Innes, um, applied for and got the position uh, of manager for the development team at the time. Um, and, and he asked me to go in with him. And to be honest with you, it was a it was a it was a different opportunity to what I was used to. So kind of went at it with with both hands. And me and Andy worked together. I was assistant for for a season. Um, we did quite well. We won the development league. I think it was the first time that it ever happened before. Um, and then the following season, Andy left, and another colleague of mine, Jill Stacey, became the first team manager with the women's team. And I was actually not on, back off my honeymoon after getting married. I got back sort of mid mid to end of October, and she asked me to go in and, and help her out with the first team. So did that for the rest of the season, um, and then left at the end of the year. Yeah, so yeah, involved for two years. Yeah, two years, give or take, I'd say. Yeah, but it was a, it was an interesting experience. It was my first sort of plight into the women's game, um, and it was interesting to see like how different it was, why it was different. Um, it sort of picked up a few pointers along the way, obviously working with some different people. Have you got desires to get back into the coaching game, maybe after the playing career finishes, or running parallel to what you're doing now? Uh, I think so. Um, Recently, kind of got into golf a bit, so I don't know if that's that'd be something that I want to go into a bit more. Get your handicap down first. Yeah, yeah, probably get that. Do it at the same time, mate, but I don't think the wife will be over that. So <laughs> I suppose it, it is something that I've had an ambition to do for a while, but I also always said to myself that I didn't want to stop playing too early because I, I didn't want to have any kind of regret years down the line of like stopping playing when I could have carried on. So I suppose I'll I'll try my best to keep going until either I'm not happy with it, or you know the managers of the team aren't happy with me, or or if my body just can't do it anymore, I'll be the first person to, to put my hand up and say, you know, I, I don't think I can do it. I wouldn't want to put myself in that position. Um, but I suppose it's something that I'd be interested in a bit further down the line. Um, you know, I've got my UFB license, um, but again, to work towards the license, you need to be working with the team at the right level. So. That would be something that I wouldn't really be looking to do really until until I finish playing completely, which at 32, you know, keepers can go on quite late, can't they? So another few years left at least, so we'll see how that goes. Oh, there's plenty of years in the tank. Don't worry about that, Alex. But I also see you're part of the Newcastle United Foundation. Now, you'll have to excuse my ignorance slightly. I know it's a charity, but what exactly does it do? So if you could expand on that in some detail about what that's all about and your involvement. Okay. Um, so I've worked for the foundation for just over eight years now. Um, predominantly, my work is in schools. So we work in, in primary schools doing uh, PE for children, uh, obviously age sort of four, five, up to 11, um, all across the county, really. So we, we work up in Berwick. We work, you know, Whitley Bay down in Durham. We work Carlisle. We've got a school in Alston. Um, you know, we're working in quite a, quite a large area just about delivering PE to, to kids. Um, you know, primary schools tend to, they get, a, they get a budget for PE and a lot of primary schools as, as a stereotype have a lot of people who are uncomfortable delivering PE because they're all classroom-based teachers. Uh, so there's a bit of a niche there for people who are working for practical delivery. Uh, but, but the foundation itself is massive. You know, we've got over 100 full-time staff working across different programs from sort of um, helping people find jobs, employment, um, helping with sort of knife crime, um, keeping kids off the streets with community programs, We've got health and wellbeing program. We're just it's massive. We do everything we can for the community and um, help feedback where where we can really. 
Is that interlinked with your affiliation as an FA tutor, or is that something that is standalone? How does that work? So that's that's separate. Um, that's a position that I applied for a few years ago now and, and was accepted on. So um, it, it's kind of like a like a goofy job, I suppose you could say. It's like it's a side job. So it's you know you're working nine to five, and then after that you you fit the hours in where you can, sort of thing. So how does the world of football and education combine for you? <laughs> Interestingly, um, it's a lot different. It's far different. I think playing, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who are very, very good footballers, um, who are very, very good managers. There's a lot of people who are, you know, poor footballers who become really good managers. It's it's a completely different world. Um, I suppose that people tend to not see that until they're they're involved in it. But, you know, trying to coach is, is, is a completely different kind of fish. There's, there's so many different things you need to look at. Um, when you're a player, you need to focus on your own performance. Yeah, yes, make part of the team or a part of the unit. Um, but when you're coaching, you've got to kind of see the bigger picture. And even beyond that, when you're, when you're managing, it's, it's not just about picking the team. It's about you know, keeping people happy. You know, if you've got a big squad, for example, it's going to be challenging for the manager to keep everybody happy. It's naturally like you're always going to need a big squad because... You know, especially at this level, you're going to get a lot of injuries. Um, you're going to get people away, and you have to compensate for that. So it's it's certainly not a job that that I envy of, of, of managers. Um, and I think that's why coaching is probably my future rather than that more serious background with the management side of things. But you never know. Just, again, just every year that I pick up a new pair of boots or gloves in pre-season, I just shock myself and think I, I can't believe I'm doing another year. So just take a year of time and see how it goes. Finally, I just want to mention a quote that I believe you've said, and I think it's connected to your previous background, and it's this. A goalie is like a guy on the minefield. He discovers the mines and destroys them. If you make a mistake, somebody gets blown up. Do you still stand by that quote? Um, yeah, I think I may be misquoted on that one. OK, but, uh, that's what I was told to say, so maybe I've got some duff information. No, and no, I think I've uh, probably got Stephen Preen to thank for that one. <laughs> so cheers. Cheers, Preen. Right, I think that's all my questions for this week. Is there anything you'd like to add before we wrap up? Uh, no, Miss, no. Uh, thanks very much for, for taking the time. And um, yeah, hope, hope it all goes well for the rest of the season. Absolutely. Thank you for your time tonight, Alex. And best of luck for the weekend and the season beyond. Thanks, Dan. Cheers. OK, that neatly brings an end to this podcast episode. Just a quick bit of admin, and that's as simple as saying that the season is in full swing. So get down and visit the teams of all ages when and where you can over the next few weeks. To all the teams taking to the field this weekend over bank holiday, no matter the age group, the very best of luck to you all. Also, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at Dan Tracy, 1983. To wrap things up, I just need to thank Alex once again for his time. So with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is the Newcastle Blue Star Podcast. And until next time, goodbye.